Can you imagine the level of a mind that watches wrestling? The audience wants to see action, adventure, wrestling, and plenty of it. Big men in tights, you know the drill. Rammer Slammer. Welcome to Rammer Slammer. I am Ben Flanagan, and today we share our top five favorite wrestling music themes. This is a really tough category to really pin down. There are so many great ones. There's so many bad ones, but we're going to leave the bad ones out, and we're going to stick to our favorite wrestling music from over the years, and we're going to probably stick with WWE for the most part. That's where the most iconic stuff really comes from, and joining me is going to be a new member of the Rammer Slammer family, David Smith, who is a wrestling nerd, wrestling geek, just like all of us, and a big music fan too, so I thought he'd be a great person to bring in on this topic. So David is going to help us out with that topic. And then we're going to run into just some wrestling jibber-jabber between me and Ben Stark. We were actually recording a Film Nerds Unlimited podcast about movies. And once we finished that, we just jumped into some random wrestling talk about how we feel about the current state of affairs. So I'm going to play that, and I hope you enjoyed this 10th episode of Rammer Slammer. This is Ben Flanagan with Rammer Slammer, and I am joined by a newcomer to the Rammer Slammer family, our good friend David Smith, the great photographer, Alabama-based photographer, and somebody who writes for the website liveandgroove.com, among among a few other things. He's been a podcaster for Mount Rushmore and has appeared on several other podcasts. It's all really good stuff. And David, you're a diehard wrestling fan. I've known that for a while, and I'm just glad to have you here. Well, thank you for having me, and you're right, I've been a wrestling fan since the beginning of 1990. I've always figured that's that's a really easy year to remember. I got into it January of that year, so it's a nice round even number. We talk to people on here about why they still love wrestling, especially in their adulthood. I mean, it's easy to understand why you at, in 1990 might have latched on to the product way back when, when you were a child, but it stuck with you over the years and you continue to love it. So why? Why do you love pro wrestling as an adult? That's honestly a good question. I've never thought about that, but it's one of the few things where I'm actually still a fan of. I mean, I'll still watch, you know, professional sports and things like that, and I'll get into it and whatever. And But for wrestling, it's just never gotten to the point where I just said, okay, I'm done with this. Um, it's a It's something that's always happening, always changing, always progressing in the sense that it's very linear. It, there's no starting and stopping point. It just keeps going. So even if you do have, you know, a period in your life where you might have gotten out of it a little bit, it just kept with me. And then I think a big part of it was that the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era happened right when I was in high school. And that was the perfect time to be a fan of that particular era so it just, you know, kind of re-energized me because the period before that, I had gotten out of it a little bit. But once, say, 1996 rolled on into 2000 when I was in high school, it was nonstop because that was really the peak of everything. Well, David, you don't strike me as a Roman Reigns fan necessarily. So I'm just curious, who do you like today? Who, which wrestlers, man or woman, WWE, NXT, New Japan, whatever you want to pick, which guys and gals are, are doing it for you these days? Well, I will correct you. I do not have a problem at all with Roman because when he first came on the scene with the Shield, I mean, it was easy for me to say, oh, yeah, he's going to be the next guy. He had the look, he had the size, he had everything. So I, I don't have a problem with Roman. I have a problem with kind of how they presented him when they were trying to make 
make him the next Cena. He should have always been, you know, kind of the silent badass. Yep. Man, a few man, a few words, and just let them get over that way. And the, what they're doing now with them, they're kind of slowly starting to go that way. I think so. There's promise there. But in terms of my favorites, I enjoy a lot of the performances. I've gotten to the point where I'm not a you know one person better than the other. And, and granted, you know there are people that are talented than others, but every performer brings something to the table. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be Cesaro because he does have that mix of everything. I mean, he's just incredibly impressive in the ring. Contrary to what some people might think, he does have, you know, very good character and charisma. And I've always just enjoyed watching him, you know, perform one way or the other. And I'm glad that now that he's back that they are seeming to give him a bit more of a push to being kind of one of the upper echelon performers. But some of the others, I really like what they've done with Kevin Owens. He's always entertaining. He easily is the best Twitter follower among the wrestlers as well. Nakamura's debut in NXT was great, so I'm incredibly excited to what he's going to do. Always like seeing Brock Lesnar come out and just, you know, kill people. I'm a man of simple taste in that regards when they just let him go off on things. So, yeah, there there's lots of people, but those would be kind of the few off the top of my head. I gotta say, it's refreshing to hear you say that about Roman Reigns. I, I'm like you. I, I don't mind Roman Reigns. In fact, I, I kind of like Roman Reigns, at least his potential. And I think he can be a face uh, of the company. Maybe not in the John Cena mold, but he can be a, a major heavy hitter. And, and I hope that they keep wandering down the path that they are right now. Maybe a little bit further. Get him off the mic a little, a little less. And, and I think we'll see him, him really blossom in, in a different role than maybe they had in mind. So that's, that's nice to hear from you, man. It's, it's few and far between you hear people pull for Roman Reigns. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm way past like, you know, high school David would have probably hated Roman. <laughs> you know, 34 years old, I can understand why he's in that position a little bit better than I could when I was younger. I must also say, you know, big fan of the new day and what they've done. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that they took that premise and made it something that's just been incredible to watch and also Sasha Banks I might be discussing her in this discussion that we have as as you'll probably find out here a little bit yeah well let's segue I think this is a good episode to introduce you to the Rammer Slammer world we're going to talk our favorite wrestling theme music and and you're obviously somebody who has a pretty extensive musical knowledge You, you photograph concerts for a living, you see all sorts of bands, so you have a pretty extensive knowledge when it comes to music and especially wrestling music. And when we blend the worlds together, then you know it, it only gets that much better. So we're gonna list our top five theme music for professional wrestlers. And I gotta say, this was a tough list to make. There's a lot of really great songs out there from from the old days, from you know when we were kids, and songs that have stuck with me and have stood the test of time. And there's a, really, honestly, a lot of new stuff. That happens to be really good. So I'm going to toss it to you, David. What's your number five? Well, I'm going to I'm going to call it audible on here, and I uh, hope this doesn't go against the format. I actually broke my categories down into two because I broke them down into instrumental themes and lyrical oh. themes because they do have kind of a different thing. But I, I, before I do start, I want to say what makes a good entrance music and good entrance theme. It's all about fitting the character, and it's all about those first two or three seconds of the song that serve as the introduction. And you'll see with with all of these songs, there is that introduction point that as soon as you hear it, you know who is about to walk out of that curtain. So if I had to start with the number five, I'll give you two right here. Lyrical would be Ted DiBiase's uh, Money, Money, Money. 
and instrumental, I would probably go with the Undertaker's theme. And now he's had various themes over the years, the variations on you know, kind of the funeral music, but just that general introduction with the gong and then walking down the aisle, things of that nature, I would throw those two out as my number fives. That's terrific. Great picks. I love the Ted DiBiase song. Ted DiBiase's laugh just, it just burned its way into my brain at a very young age. And going back and watching his, his promos from the olden days and watching him perform in the ring and walk out to that music, the, the swagger he had, truly amazing. A really great song. And that's a great pick. And obviously the Undertaker, really iconic stuff. My number five is a song and I, I'm going to, I'm just going to combine them. And it's one that caught me off guard recently. I went back and watched an old video of this guy's WWE debut back when WCW and WWE were about to to collide. And and this guy just, he made one of the most incredible debuts I've ever seen. Chris Jericho. song Break the Walls Down by Jim Johnson and Adam Moranoff. It's just, you know, it's not necessarily the kind of music that I would normally listen to, but I just think it really works. And coming from that era, to me, it just, it screams pro wrestling. It screams Jericho's attitude and Jericho's personality. And for whatever reason, however many years later since that debut, the song still works. And when I hear it and when I see him walk out, especially during his you know, revisiting the bad guy mode that he's so good at, it just works for me. Oh, absolutely. And you bring you bring that one up. I remember way back when reading about, you know, kind of the composition of that song. Jericho, of course, is a very big, you know, heavy metal fan, hard rock fan, and he had suggested those themes for when they were composing the music that Jim Johnston kind of told him, no, we're seeing this more of kind of like a – Beastie Boys approach uh, to things, and Jericho's like, well, that was kind of off the wall, but then when he heard it, it was like, yes, that fits. Let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that theme has, I mean, lasted since 99. They have not modified that really at all. I love it, man. You're right. It kind of has the ad rock vibe to it, and it, it works. I don't know. What's your number four? My number four instrumental would be Iron Man by the Road Warriors, because, again, this had an entrance point where as this first riff of Iron Man back in the 80s, if you heard that, you knew in the next 10, 15 seconds, Hawk and Animal were running out of that curtain, running down the aisle, and beating the piss out of whoever was in the ring. So it was a great theme for them. And then my instrumental theme, I'm going to have to go with Ric Flair's theme, the theme from 2001. Great theme. I love it. Yeah, I don't know whether even at the ripe age of 31 to identify that music with the movie 2001 or Ric Flair. I, I can't, I can't decide which one it, it really belongs to. So yeah, that's, that's a great pick. And, and my number four is Mr. Perfect Perfection again by, I think it was this Jim Johnston who composed this. Do you know? I'm not sure off the top of my head. He might've been around yeah. at that point. I think he was perfect. Would have started probably using that around late 89, 1990. Yeah. So yeah, perfect. I think Johnson yeah. was around. 
it's just an awesome track and just one of those classic wrestling themes growing up that really stuck out to me and again fit his personality Kurt Hennig was an amazing performer in a way pretty underrated you know as just an overall performer obviously an amazing in-ring technician but the guy could cut a hell of a promo and again you talk about swagger that's what really sort of surfaces here one of the elements that you look for obviously charisma is so huge in in professional wrestling he had it and this music suited him beautifully yeah great i mean yeah that told you a lot about the character even if you did not know any who was about to walk out the aisle when you heard it you're like okay this guy is elite this guy is going to be top of the line and then once you knew the Mr. Perfect character, you loved to hate hearing that music. He was one of the top bad guys when I first came into wrestling, so I've always had a special place in my heart for him and this music as well. Absolutely. What's your number three? If you smell what the rock is cooking. My number three would have to be on the instrumental side, even though it opens with a a bit of vocals, would be the Rock's theme. And then lyrical, I'm going to have to go with DX's theme. Both of them from the Attitude Era, of course. I'm showing my age. But, again, um, the Rock's theme has that great introduction. If you smell the Rock's cooking, gets the crowd exploding every time they hear it. And then just goes into that great beat that it has. And the same with the DX's theme with the Are You Ready? Um, it just gets the crowd ready, for lack of a better term, for that group to come out. And both were very fitting for the characters that they portrayed. Yeah, you know, I, I honestly, I didn't love DX when back during their initial run. I was way more into Stone Cold and, and The Rock. And I understand you can be into all of them. You know, that, that's kind of the way I look at WWE now. Like the what you said earlier about Teenage David wouldn't have been into Roman Reigns, you know, and you kind of have a clearer view of you know how it all works that's kind of how i feel about dx even in retrospect now but i agree i heard the theme music recently and it really worked for me and it it really popped and i like it i think that's a great pick and my my number three i'm going to reach back a little bit further and this is sadly kind of a more obscure one that's harder to find and it's one that people don't always identify with this guy but it's ricky steamboat's second theme as heard before and after his legendary match with Macho Man Randy Savage for the Intercontinental okay, yeah. title. Yeah, I know what you're talking history. about. Yeah, so most people associate the theme that, yeah, what the, the, the song that you hear during the starting lineups for the Chicago Bulls. That, that Serious. Was, was it opening ceremony or something like that? No, I think um, it was called Serious. Okay, yeah, so most people associate that with Ricky Steamboat, and that's fine, and that's a great track, but God almighty, I watched WrestleMania 3, a couple times within the last year, and this music just kills, man. It is so badass. It suits Ricky the Dragon Steamboat so well. This is a guy I just always thought should have been a top guy for years. He had everything. He had the entering stuff. He had the charisma. He had the look. He was so likable as a good guy, and this music just suited him, again, suited him perfectly. So, yeah, that's my number three.
Excellent, excellent. Yeah, love Steamboat. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that at all. Okay, what's your number two? Okay, number two, again, is going. Um, these are kind of pairing up, and I can't say I, I like either of these groups or performers, but they match well. Instrumental would be the NWO's theme, and lyrical would be Real American. Hulk Hogan, of course, used it. Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda used it before him. But, again, going on the theme of what I had, both have those opening bits to let you know, hey, here's who's coming. You know, the guitar riff for the NWO theme, uh, the guitar riff for Real American, both iconic pieces of music used by some of the biggest stars ever in wrestling. You don't even have to be a fan of the people that used them to understand what good themes these were. Really, really good picks. And I, I like your criteria in terms of like the opening moments of the song and the reaction that it, it's just like this, it's like a Pavlovian dog reaction. Exactly. Uh, out of fans, they just know they go nuts when they hear certain music. And we may we, we may get into some other songs that do that better than anything, but those are great picks. My number two is a current theme. It's the Bray Wyatt theme, Live in Fear, by Mark Crozer. And again, like it, what's what's so great about wrestling is like it exposes you to to different kind of music, you know, different kind of people, personalities, different shades of storytelling, but also different theme music. And I, I again, I wouldn't necessarily listen to music like this, you know, normally, but this song is just really haunting and beautiful, and and really suits this character and the potential of this character more than anything. I, I think they've realized it to an extent. But this guy has the best entrance on the roster right now. I know that there are plenty of Undertaker folks out there who <laughs> would have, you know, take issue with that. But I'm talking about full-timers. This music is awesome. I've been in the house, and, and I know you have too, probably, when Bray Wyatt and, and the Wyatt family have made their entrance. When the house lights go down and the cell phone lights go up and, and they just saunter down to the ring, it is really awesome. And, and it's something that I, I always look forward to when I go to a show. Yeah, and they could have gone, you know, very heavy with his theme, but I think the story I remember reading is, you know, Bray Wyatt actually found this piece of music and told him, this is the song I want. This is, you know, this is the character right here. And they were able to get the rights to it. And the band actually performed it live at WrestleMania 34. And that was, you know, that was a good touch to the character as well. But yeah, again, I mean, just that slow, haunting ominous sound of it very you know it doesn't really sound threatening but there's just that sinister undertone to it that makes it perfect for him yeah just total totally theatrical and that's what that moment during the entrance really gets about pro wrestling the theatrics of it the storytelling of just an entrance alone tells you so much about the character and yeah i mean if that if that is in fact true about Bray Wyatt handpicking that song, wow, like that that's just a really great creative choice. And like you said, the live performance of it's really good too, so people should check that out. So your number one wrestling song, wrestling theme, lyric, instrumental, what is it? Again, cheating a bit. Two instrumentals and one lyrical. The <laughs> one one's a honorable mention because I just it needs to be mentioned. It's Randy Savage's Pomp and Circumstance, which again, like this very similar to Mr. Perfect, just absolutely fit his character. You knew immediately that you first knew the song because it was the graduation song, but then you knew it was Randy Savage's song, and it just, you know, fit the Macho Man character perfectly. But the two main ones here, Lyrical, uh, Bad Street USA by the Freebirds for the historical aspect of the song. This wasn't their original. Of course, they came out to Freebird by Leonard Skinner, but Bad Street USA has always been my 
favorite, you know, just lyrical wrestling song. Michael Hayes is actually singing it. Uh, it's just a great piece of mid-1980s wrestling right there. And then the instrumental theme is Steve Austin's theme. can't beat the glass breaking and then just the heavy guitar riff to personify a character and what they're supposed to be than those bits. And like when we're talking about the Pavlovian response, when you hear that glass break, the crowd will still absolutely lose it. And that's a good theme right there. Yeah, we saw them lose it at WrestleMania 32 when he comes out there with his fellow legends, Shawn Michaels and and Mick Foley, obviously. I, I thought that was a really fun moment. I know that there are some smarky fans who have kind of derided it. And, and you know, I, I kind of agree to an extent that Steve Austin deserved his own segment. In a way, he was kind of above that segment, and especially when he, you know, was from Texas. They're in Texas. And me as a huge Steve Austin mark, I kind of wish that he had gotten it. But when I heard that music, I was so jacked. And when, you know, I never thought I was going to see a stunner again in the ring. And when he went in there and, you know, some of those guys, those current roster guys, I just slipped back into 1998, man. And, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I wish I wish I could have been in a house when that music went off. It's funny you bring that up because you would probably agree Rusev and Xavier Woods took probably the two of the best stunners oh, man. you've seen, correct? Okay. I was listening to Austin's podcast this week. He had Enzo and Big Cass on. He's had them on for two episodes back-to-back. And on the second one, they were talking about that. They're talking about, you know, Austin's performance at WrestleMania – and he brought up how good Rusev took the stunner, and then Enzo and Cass were laughing. They're like, yeah, that's because we had stunner classes at the Performance <laughs> Center. Like, they had literal, like, sessions where everyone just practiced taking stunners for fun. And that's why Rusev and Xavier Woods had, like, two of the best stunner reactions people have ever seen. Yeah, I doubt Donald Trump teaches that class. Exactly. Didn't sell it very well, but those guys killed it. Yeah, okay, my number one here is is – simple i I hope this is yeah i think it's a little underrated but for whatever reason it just kills me every time it's just the roddy piper bagpipe had that on the short list and again that was a great piece of music oh man like it just just again suits the character so well and it's just to me the ultimate going to battle music for you know that sets up a great story in the ring and, and he's just such a great you know he's so great on the mic but he is such a good nonverbal storyteller too the guy has a great face and he just has a great instinct for for acting and performing and the music just suits him so well and he has the best face when he's walking or running down to the ring. And to be honest with you, my my favorite use of this music and my favorite Roddy Piper entrance was when he wasn't wrestling. It's when he was special guest referee at WrestleMania 10 for 
Bret Hart versus Yokozuna in that main event, I just remember when he comes out there, they announce that he's the special guest referee, and that music hits. It blew me away, man. Yeah, I'll say my favorite Piper entrance. I actually didn't use this music. It was in the 92 Royal Rumble. It was a sequence where Flair had cleared the ring. It's the middle of the match. Heenan acts like he had just won. He's celebrating. And then all of a sudden, Roddy <laughs> Piper comes out, and the crowd explodes. And they, they weren't playing the music, of course, when the Rumble participants were coming out. But if they had played his music at that point, just his, for that segment, it would have been that much better. But, yeah. Piper's music was great. It was also, it's a very neutral song because it, it could be used when Piper was a bad guy, it could be used when Piper was a good guy. Yep. Um, there isn't really kind of an edge to it either way. So, yeah, that's what, may, again, that's what makes a good piece of music is you can use it either way to identify the character. Yeah, and I'll, I'll run through just a few quick honorable mentions here. Ravishing Rick Roots. Yeah, I've had that on the short list. The variation on David Rose and his orchestras, The Stripper. You mentioned Macho Man, Pomp and Circumstance, just classic stuff. Some current guys, I really like all of the Shield guys' music. Seth Rollins, Ambrose. I, I still like the Shield theme that Roman Reigns obviously kept. And, you know, I, I heard this recently just for the first time, sadly, because I'm such a late bloomer to NXT. Samoa Joe's music is freaking awesome. Yeah, it, it, it it's basically, you know, Trouble's on its way. Yeah, that's, that's perfect for his character. I like Brock's music. Brock Lesnar's music, again, is that opening bit to let you know, oh, Lord, Brock's about to come out and just, you know, <laughs> throw people around. Great picks, man. This is a tough list to make, and I, I'm always impressed. There's some not-so-great music out there, for sure, that they churn out, and, and some that it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard to me, but you know, more often than not, I really look forward to, to the entrances of these of these men and women, and and I I can't wait to hear the variations that they you know put on these NXT performers if they graduate. It, like Enzo and Cass, I think have great music. Kevin Owens has really cool music. Those opening well, notes get me going. Well, we have to we have to talk a moment about probably the best theme, best of the new themes would be Nakamura's theme. Yeah, when man. he debuted that, that was you know echoing of what a lot of people says. It has that opening, you know, troubles on its way bit, the guitar rip, and then yep. it goes into the violin bit that sounds like a Japanese role playing game, like a final boss battle. Which <laughs> I mean is honestly what you're having to deal with when you're in the ring with Nakamura. It is it was a perfect theme for him. I mean, I was blown away with how good they got it. Well, David Smith. Remind people where they can find your stuff, whether it's writing, photos, or whatever. Photo-wise, you can find me at uh, Smith Scenes at S-C-E-N-E-S.com, Smith as in David Smith, Scenes.com. You can find that across the board, Twitter, Instagram, the whole social media profile there. That's where you'll find all my concert photos. If you want to find me just screwing around writing, talking about movies, TV, whatever the case may be, liveandgroove.com. And some pro wrestling writing there, too. I thought you had WrestleMania 32 predictions. So when I started that website, I was like, okay, I'm going to probably keep the wrestling stuff off of that. But for WrestleMania weekend, I didn't make the exception. And then, my, of course, like everybody else's predictions, they were horrible because, every, like, every finish seemed to be a complete out-of-nowhere ending. So, yeah, I'm glad I, I don't do this professionally. <laughs> you didn't have Zack Ryder? No, didn't have Zack Ryder. I, I think didn't Daniel Wagner, he was talking about how he had picked all the long shots and came away quite well after that. Well, good for Daniel. David, thanks so much for doing this, man. Always appreciate it. Not a problem. Enjoyed it.
yeah, like I can't not think of Batman versus Superman, but Zack Snyder is probably the better specific example as Roman Reigns. It's just such a great parallel. Yeah, I mean, he's even got like the pecs, you know, like he's <laughs> dude lifts. So I, mean, I guess I'm, I'm I'm thinking that like Jeff Nichols is the is the Daniel Bryan or the uh, the Dean Ambrose of you know kind of getting held back. They don't really see him as, as the main event guy. I, I listened to a, uh, I think it was uh, Paul Heyman on some podcast recently. I just found a YouTube clip, and you see all these YouTube flip clips that are like Stone Cold or Paul Heyman on why Romans can't get over. Shoots on Roman Reigns. Why he, yeah, yeah, and Roman Reigns can't get over. And Heyman, Heyman nailed it. I mean, and that that has been my theory, and I think he nailed it because it was my theory. No, but I, I really think it's all rooted in Daniel Bryan. I think it's all about the fans' backlash over how they handled Daniel Bryan and his comeback and what he did, at how they handled him at Royal Rumble that year, how he just got thrown in and thrown out immediately. And just because Roman, it was obvious that Roman Reigns was the guy they chose in that moment, they just, they just leveled all of the boos and all of their anger at Roman Reigns, who... <laughs> It was a perfectly, I think, a perfectly fine option, you know, at the time. Sure. But I just think it all came to a head in that moment just be- just because of the Daniel Bryan phenomenon that just obviously wasn't through yet among the yeah. fans. And they were just so relieved to see him back in just the fact that in the same event, he got tossed aside and Roman Reigns got anointed. That's when it all started. They reached the point of no return as soon as it started. Yeah, and then they did the smartest thing ever, which is pit the two guys against one another and have Roman go over in the most obligatory fashion ever. Yeah, it was, oh, man. And then they tried to, like, book Roman as Daniel Bryan at the end of last year, too. I think that, I don't know, maybe the fans aren't that. Because the underdog? Yeah, but it's just like, like, you don't. Look at Roman Reigns. Like, in no situation is he the underdog. He's the alpha, you know. He's the guy that... Again, Goldberg is exactly how they should have been booking that guy this whole time. Well, um, he was even with the Shield. Like he, he wasn't necessarily like the, he wasn't necessarily the alpha of the Shield. He was kind of like the goon in a way. Yeah, you know? he was. He was like the attack dog. You know, like right. the, he he was like the guy that there is like. Well, yeah. once he gets in the ring, people are going to be really in trouble. Right. Exactly. Like Rollins was the so-called like leader slash alpha or whatever. So it's weird, man. Like it's a huge contrast to what he was and what he is now. Especially like once once he started talk, once he started talking, yep. to me it's when it just really went downhill in the yep. way they booked the whole Royal Rumble situation. It was just it was just they were just bad decisions. Yeah, I remember last year wasn't like Bray Wyatt um, like threatening Roman's daughter and stuff, <laughs> uh, and now they're like buddies. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, what are you doing? I think that wasn't was that the SmackDown that we went to when they were feuding. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. It was in the middle of it because it was before Hell in the Cell um, when they had their match there. So yeah, I don't know, man. I still think you look at it and say this would never happen. But I think they got to look at it and say, hey, what's the hottest thing of the last few years? Oh, it's the Shield. Oh, two of the guys <laughs> are good guys right now. Just get them back together. You know, like how. Imagine, imagine the pop of a reunited Shield, you know, as, as good guys with, with Rollins has come back and, and everything. And I just uh, that, that's that like works. Shield never happened. It's like the, it's like the Shield breakup never happened. I know. You know, and it's 
and they and when they do talk about it, they talk about it like it was like a five year run, you know. But it was only like nine months or something like that. And <laughs> well, it, it, they totally. I mean, I think the moment that Rollins turned was so great that it was a good decision at that point. But I think that I think there's still gas left in that tank. And, and well, how just, do you follow it up? Like, how do you not follow that up though? Like, just from just a storytelling one hundred and one standpoint, you know. I guess I guess Reigns hurt his groin. And he went out during well, he, right. he went out during uh, Rollins' initial you know ascent as champion, right? And then yeah. you know when Reigns finally comes back and becomes the next next in line, Rollins blows his knee out, and so injuries haven't been on their side, and they have not been using. I mean, they've only barely been using. Whenever Ambrose has been the placeholder contender, they've only barely been using the Shield as sort of like a backup storyline, but they barely even reference it whenever he's a part of that. You know, all they do, like with Roman Reigns and Ambrose, when they were buds, they were just like, they're brothers, they're they're best friends. But it's like, (laughs) wait, there was this whole thing where they both got betrayed by Rollins, you know, like, I don't know. It's it's weird. Yeah, and and also, I mean, look at the the feud that Ambrose and Rollins had right after that. Like, you could tell that they just kind of threw that out there as a mid-card thing to get Rollins to heat. But it ended up being like one of the most I remember it was like the it was during the whole ALS ice bucket thing and they had that one yeah. moment where uh where Dean Ambrose dumped a dumped the ice thing on Rollins. It was like, Well yeah. charity and then they started fighting. It's just like man, that was like such an exciting, fun feud that Dude. they can pick they can pick up whenever and it should be that's like their stone cold rock kinda, you know, legendary feud. Like these guys will never ever ever like each other. They just let it fizzle out when Bray Wyatt's lantern showed up. Oh, my God. Dude, the beginning of that Hell in a Cell main event is, like, some of the most electrifying, just, like, that's one of the most, like, electrifying sequences I can remember for WWE. Like, when Ambrose comes out and, like, climbs the top of the cage, you know, yeah. and, like, he's got the stick, you know, and he's beating J&J security. And, like, it's it's insane, dude. It's like a... That that was legit, kind of like the energy of a like an NXT show now or an ECW show of the past. Like they had something and they just squandered it. <laughs> well, like, I feel like that match is a great picture of Ambrose's situation across the board. You know, of like super hot out of the gate, very exciting, everybody's into it, and then it just it's like the Brock match. You know, like nobody's even talking about that now. Like, this guy got dismantled two weeks ago, and then he's just showing up doing a comedy spot with Chris Jericho. So bad. It's like, they, I they like feel, it. I feel like they, they think that they can just hit the reset button infinitely with that guy, and it's not going to work. You know, it's just like the why. It's just the exact same thing where they're hot, and then they feel like, well, okay, they're hot enough, so let's, let's knock them down a peg, and then they'll be off the TV for a week, and then we'll just hit the reset button as if, we didn't just kind of completely make clowns of these guys. Yeah, is that um, what you did with Stone Cold and The Rock? You know, yeah, you read yeah. their asses every week until right. until it until they were done. You know, yeah, like, like literally, like literally until they left the business entirely. Yeah, uh, you, you. I mean, they did it with Stone Cold towards the end, and he just walked out. They when whenever he was at WrestleMania with Scott Hall, he was like, "What? What are you doing with me right now?" Uh, he just kind of walked out. So I think that that is honestly, if, if Ambrose had some some guts. I think I think what you described him as a few weeks ago on our WrestleMania thing was totally accurate. As I think he's just the guy. He's happy to be there, you know, and and he'll he'll do whatever for the show. And I feel like that what he 
probably needs to do, like, look, man, you've got options. Lucha Underground exists, and New Japan exists. It's not the money. It's not the same amount of money, but look, just stand up for yourself and say, no, that's that's a bad decision for my character. And, well, and I think I think that the there's probably a weird dynamic now in that they call up so many young guys from from the independents and the the NXT, and they finally get their big shot in WWE. And so I, I'm guessing that a lot of those guys have the attitude of I finally made it. I can't screw this up. I'll do whatever they tell me to do. You know? Yeah. And they're they're all just young guys who don't have enough confidence yet to assume creative control of themselves or their character. And there's only like a handful of guys who have that kind maybe have that kind of attitude. But as far as I can tell, that's just not the case. You don't hear about the backstage rumblings of, you know, like you did Stone Cold's pissed off about his character and he, you know, does this or that. You just hear everybody loves Vince and everybody's going to do it. Vince and Triple H say, yep. Like how's that working out for Tyler Breeze? Oh man. He's done. That he's it's over. Like, yeah, he's yeah. He's I I promise you he will be on Lucha Underground next season. Like I yeah. I can I just write, go ahead and write it in now. I think Apollo Cruz is probably gonna end up being the same yeah. dude. And that is that is I mean Tyler Breeze is he's super talented, but yeah, I think you could kinda look at him and, and I mean and see that no okay. This, yeah, yeah, he's not WWE is not the best place for him at the end of the day. He's a Ring of Honor, you know, New Japan Junior kind of guy. Look at Rusev. Um, but like, Rusev, yeah, Rusev is is totally is like the most WWE guy, you know, that you can almost imagine, and they're just letting him fizzle. And the same, I mean, Apollo Crews, the, the charisma that that guy has and the moves that he has, if they can teach him how to string that stuff together in a in a narratively sound way and, and make sure he's good on the mic. I mean, that guy has, like, I think, like, rock levels of potential. But, yeah, they're just sending him out there to do it. I mean, they're basically doing to him what they did to the rock, which is just smile and beat people and wave to the crowd. And it's like, it's, it's not that easy. It, it's never been that easy. Well, it's the PG era, man. It's- no, no, there's no way. I mean, because that's not, I mean, the whole Kogan was PG era. And well, it's a different all, era, I mean, though. Like, the wrestling fan base is just so different now than it was back no, then. No, I, I don't Dude, You watch, watch the Hulk Hogan era and see, like, how into the wrestling everybody was. Like, every single move was hung on by the fans. It's just a different... And now you have a match on Raw where it's like Dolph Ziggler versus Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn versus whoever, and the, the, the crowd is cheering, this is boring, you know? And it's just like... <laughs> But that's the company's here? fault. You, look, dude, it, watch Lucha Underground and see how that crowd reacts to almost every spot. Like, they're crazy. Like it right. Is, or NXT, you know? And NXT, it, it, yeah. It has nothing to do with the rating or with with the crowd. It has to do with the way the company has trained the crowd to be. If WWE really worked hard for a year to reset audience expectations, they would be on fire. And if they just looked at look these other companies to figure out how to do that they, and use those models, they'd do it. But I, it's an attention span thing, man. Like, you read all these stories about Vince, and it's like from week to week he has a totally different opinion on things, and he doesn't care, and he's got 30 writers that are all pitching him different things, and I think he just he just picks one thing that week and, and goes with it, and if it works, keep it going for a few weeks until he gets bored of it, and if it doesn't, kill it. You know, you see the whole Shane McMahon, like, there clearly was not a long-term plan there, and they're just making fish up every Monday morning, and it's 
insane because they're dealing with this like billion dollar brand. It's, it's crazy. Well, it's it's weird though because the whole PG thing, like it's only PG when they want it to be. You know, sometimes like sure, yep. There are these moments where it's just like, isn't this isn't this the PG era? Because it's like you see Xavier Woods humping the rope, you see uh, the Rock coming in and shaming Lana. That yeah, stage was yeah. awful. You see blood, you know, in, in a few different... And, yeah, you, you've got Roman Reigns saying, bitch, like, they... they yeah. They, oh, you have to, Vince dropped the F word during a promo <laughs> not too long ago, yeah. you know? So it's like, well, what are you? Like, people are responding to some of that stuff, you know? So, yeah, but they'll they'll respond to it, and then they'll get bored with it again. You know, it has nothing to do with... It's just like in the Attitude Era. It's like the people people don't... People didn't really pop in the Attitude Era because Sable was showing her boobs or because, you know, the brood was dumping fake blood. They they <laughs> responded because there was logic week to week, you know, on the Stone Cold storylines. I mean, a lot of those other storylines were terrible and the wrestling was terrible. But the fact that there were stakes to Stone Cold and The Rock and, and those guys were totally in Foley and, and they were, you know, totally bought into their characters, that's what that's what kept people interested. And it was just, it was the salacious stuff that would pop the crowd from time to time. I, I didn't like that stuff, man. Like, DC, yeah, I to hated me, it. Like, to it me, was that, embarrassing. That's the, that's the DX half of it. You know, it's yep. like there was the DX half of it, and then there was the Stone Cold Rock half of it, which was yep. just like all about character and charisma and, and even wrestling, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And like, that to me, that is why they won Monday Night. That's what what defines that era as as great was because of those two, and even Vince McMahon as the bad guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Me, it was just cheap, like lame. yeah. It was in high school. It was like that was the stuff that I was like, well, if my parents walk in and and Stone Cold and The Rock are like beating each other up, then that's like, oh, well, that's those guys that's really don't like each other. That's that's the story. But if my parents walk in, <laughs> I'm watching, you know. Road dog point to his Johnson. It's just like, oh, sorry guys. This, let me explain. <laughs> you know, it's the most embarrassing thing ever, and it's the same way now. You know, it's like it. That's why I know this is my thing, but that's why I like New Japan, man. Like you turn it on and it all makes sense. It's clear. You don't even have to speak the language, and everything plays well. And it's still goofy because they're all pretending it's like a sport, but it has an internal logic. And, and you, like you said, it's wrestling, you know, and it's not, it's not all the extra stuff. And if, if you go to Lucha Underground, that's, they have a lot more of the sensational stuff, but it's such a comic book universe that it plays really well. And those two companies, they know what they are. And I feel like WWE doesn't know what it is. And it's sad. NXT seems to know what it is, and that is yeah. part of WWE. I know that Triple H runs the show, but Vince owns it. You know, like yeah, Vince, but he doesn't care. I mean, he owns Punked or whatever the, you know, Swerved. He owns that too, but he doesn't care what happens on Swerved. It's a NXT line item in the man. budget. Like that that he, the NXT is different because that's the future of his company, right? Like it has to perform. Like that's why. I mean, you don't think he cares that it's selling out, you know, American Airlines Arena or wherever. They, and probably not that venue. I think that was raw. But wherever they're selling out the takeovers and, you know, the, the crowd reactions to weekly NXT shows or NXT house shows, I mean, how do you not pay attention to the just the ferocity of those crowds? You know, who is in Yeah, but if he didn't product? do it, if he didn't do it, it's not right. Yeah, I maybe. mean, that's. Yeah, but why would he I, allow it? Why wouldn't he just bury it if he didn't care about it? Because his daughter is married to the guy that's doing it. 
<laughs> Maybe so, but again, like he's poaching from the thing that he's ignoring, right? Like, I mean, that, why, why else would Apollo Crews and Tyler Breeze and Rusev and the Shield? Why, why else would he? Obviously, again, it's it's like minor league baseball. You have to have a farm system, I guess. And and if we have injuries or we or we're low on guys, I guess I have a place where I can where I can pull from. And and so I, I think that he probably cares cares about it for that reason, but. I think so, too, but I don't think he cares about it enough to learn from it. In fact, well, it's quite the contrary. I think that's the last thing he would want is to learn from the minor leagues. That's insulting. Maybe, but I don't know, man. Like It's weird that there's such an insane emphasis on the wrestling and telling the story in ring at NXT, and then when you graduate to WWE, <laughs> it's more about – walking down the aisle, you know, holding a selfie stick and, you know, yeah. the, and what you see on the Titan Tron. And then yeah. you job to somebody and then it's over. And Three minutes, yeah, two minutes yeah, and then job, yeah. Yeah, so it's just weird that there's such an insane contrast from one thing to the next. I and mean, you're graduating from that to the big leagues, so to speak, just to go not do what made you, you know. On, on five hours of programming. Or six yeah. hours of programming. You know, it's like you get NXT once a week for two hours, and then you get called up to go work on a six-hour show every week, and it, you don't do your job as much. Hey, man, it, it, hey man uh, it looks like a plumber is at my house. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got to walk into a meeting, so. Cool, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Bye. Rammer Slammer is produced and edited by Ben Flanagan for the Alabama Media Group and AL.com. Find us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Rammer Slammer. Thanks for listening. Hi there, I'm Dave Wills, the crying wrestling fan from Tosh Photo and YouTube, and you're listening to Rammer Slammer right here on AL.com. Let me tell you, Rammer Slammer, it'll still be damn it.